Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. We are joined now by Gina Martin-Adams. She's an equity strategist at Wells Fargo. A pleasure to have her here uh, in studio. Also by Francine Lacqua in London. And Gina, let me, let me just start here with... Uh, with the broader context, another day, another uh, central bank event that uh, that market participants are watching. Yeah, we're, we're certainly completely and totally captivated by both <laughs> politics and policy lately. I called it spellbound by politics and policy. Um, and and it, you get the sense that even with all of the earnings news that we're starting to get on the financial sector, really the only thing that matters to stocks is where do monetary policymakers go and who's going to win the, the U.S. election. Um, so as a result, you kind of expect stocks to trade sideways at best until we get some resolution on those two matters. What are you telling your, your clients about central bank policy, how to regard central bank policy yeah. at this point? Well, the most important um, central bank with respect to U.S. assets is obviously the U.S. central bank. So our view is, as, so, as goes the Fed, goes so goes the market multiple. And uh, over the last year and a half, two years, as the Fed has started to scale back on QE, um, stopped the expansion of the balance sheet, and now has started to incrementally tighten policy, the result has been this sort of sideways movement in the market multiple. And that's our view, is at best you get sideways movement, movement in the market multiple. We're no longer going to see stocks move higher on valuation alone. The problem is we've been waiting for an earnings recovery during that time period, and the result has been sort of no movement for stocks. Um, we've seen this just tiny little incremental gain in, in stock prices. So, until we can get some economic growth to drive an earnings recovery, as long as the Fed is incrementally tightening, it, it's just going to be tough for stocks to move higher. I want to go to Francine Lockwood in just a sec here. Let's say Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Investing is not about achieving average. It's about achieving goals. Learn how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help at Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Morning, Fran. Good morning, David. Good morning, Gina. The problem when you speak to a lot of strategists that don't look at equities that closely yet is that they say we still have record levels for a lot of these indices. And actually, this is on earnings growth that is basically cost-cutting. And you look at the state of the world, and there's hardly any growth. Are you really expecting equities, Gina, to go higher, or are we due a correction? Well, our fair value estimate for the S&P 500 right now is 2200 so that that suggests that we get this incremental gain um, to get to fair value, but that includes you know a twelve month forward earnings outlook. So it's these tiny little gains, very consistent with what we've experienced over the last year and a half, two years. Tiny little gains consistent with earnings growth in the absence of an incredibly supportive central bank or an incrementally less supportive central bank. So it's very dependent upon earnings growth. We see earnings growing about 5% over the next 12 months, 7% in 2017. Most of that comes from 
the energy sector and uh, industries that support the energy sector. So those are the areas where we see earnings growth increasing. The other areas of the index, quite frankly, I think you're continuing to see a deceleration of earnings growth over 2017. So I think the devil is in the details. Um, when you look at the stock market, you're absolutely right. We haven't had a lot of growth. Uh, and and that is that's creating a pretty perilous environment. But if you find the areas of growth, I think you can do relatively well in stocks still. Um, Gina, how much do currencies have an impact on earnings nowadays? And actually, yeah. if you look at central bank action, will you? I mean, some currencies more than others have really gone through a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, will that continue putting pressure on earnings? Well, it, it's all relative and. Compared to the unbelievable rally that we saw in the dollar relative to basically every um, uh, global um, currency from the middle of 2014 into the early 2015 period, the gains in the dollar we've seen over the last few weeks are fairly minimal. Right. That that period between the middle of 2014 and early 2015 is one of only a handful of extraordinary dollar gains that had truly devastating impacts on export-related earnings and currency-related earnings in the S&P 500. Compared to that, the moves we've had are really de minimis. I think you have to see another extraordinary boom in the dollar to have very, very strong earnings impacts. What matters a lot more right now is the fact that Globally, growth is still fairly slow. There are some signs of life in emerging markets. We're hopeful that that can continue into 2017. The U.S. economy may see a little bit of a boost into 2017. But globally, growth is still very, very slow. And that is extremely meaningful for earnings. The dollar really takes a backseat to that right now. Gina, you and and Wells have been underweight on financials. Here we are coming out of uh, the latest banks' earnings season. We had such an uptick in in FIC Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in in every one of these reports, it seemed. Has any of that done anything to sort of change your your sense of U.S. bank financials at this point? Uh, Not me, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I, as a strategist, you look at the general uh, relative performance of sectors, there's some some pretty big indicators of relative performance. And for, for financials, it's all the yield curve. And while the yield curve has strength, has widened a little bit, the spread between short rates and long rates has widened a little bit over the last couple of months, if you look at the broader perspective, it peaked back in 2013 and has been flattening ever since. And that in and of it is the biggest portion of our, 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 our view on financials. That deteriorating outlook signal sent by the yield curve suggests that financial sector earnings growth is likely to struggle to surpass 5% for at least the next 12 to 18 months. Um, what does that mean? Well, compared to the consensus view that earnings will accelerate to a 12% growth rate in 2017, it puts us at a, a negative in a negative position. It's just so unlikely to us that financials can satisfy these expectations, considering the longer, the broader outlook signal being sent by the yield curve. What What is it going to take to suffuse stocks with uh, optimism once again? Uh, what, what's going to bring people back into into the equities markets? I think it's a couple of things. One is just this there's a general distaste or dislike for equities. Um, you know, the, the everybody hates Chris. I say everybody hates stocks because it's it's just amazing. From the last several years, outflows from equities have been extraordinary, in particularly active actively managed um, equity funds. And so there's this, general dislike of equities. Part of it is the ongoing search for yield. 
Um, but I think part of it is also just this lack of risk tolerance. So, you know, determining what the trigger will be for investors to suddenly get a little bit more confident and feel a little bit more risk tolerant as opposed to extremely risk averse. I'm not sure what that is. I think you could get it from a number of areas. You could certainly get it from a growth um, improvement if we suddenly start to see inv- businesses investing a bit more because we're starting to see some signals that, that growth is going to spiral higher. Uh, that could go a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite surprising, frankly, that stocks are you know, well over double, triple their bottoms in 2009 and investors are still not putting money into the equity market. And that's a longer term drag that it, you know, we'll probably have business school case studies on it um, in, in the years to come. Uh, Gina, what looks frothy right now? There, there must be industry groups where um, either people are looking for dividends or a yield, where the, yeah. the valuations just make little sense to you. Uh, utilities for us has been the area where um, valuations have just looked extremely frothy uh, for much of the year. I mean, the, the sector led returns into the early summer months and has sold off since, but the valuations of that sector are still pretty high relative to the market. It's talked about a lot, though, so I worry that you know we're kind of a consensus view on that. The sector where I think valuations are most dangerous and investors are still hiding in um, is the consumer staples sector. And this is an area where you just had Nestle's um, uh, CEO talking on, on television this morning. To me, there's just very, very little earnings support for the extraordinary level of valuations in the consumer staples sector. There's deflationary concerns. You've got very slow global growth. You've got a moving dollar, and this sector tends to be um, sort of uh, sensitive to currency beyond what, what I think is, is typically um, understood. Mm-hmm. So there's there are a lot of reasons not to like consumer staples, um, and valuation is one of those. Gina, thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's Gina Martin-Adams. She's an equity strategist at Wells Fargo, joining us here in New York. This is David Perreau with Francine Lacqua, who is in for Tom Keene today. I'm watching our colleagues, Francine, on Bloomberg Television. There is a countdown clock to the ECB rate decision, 25 minutes to go, and I know we're going to get some good insight on that from our next guest. Yeah, we will get some great insight. But you know what? The markets are a little bit, I don't think they're nervous. I think they're a little bit flat because Mario Draghi has been keeping so much suspense around it. Well, we don't want to keep the suspense. Our next guest is Carson Bretzky. He's ING Germany, chief economist, one of the most respected, actually, ECB watchers right here in Europe, joining you in New York. Yes, Carson, when you look, special treat, when you look at the ECB, virtually no one is predicting any major action from the ECB today, but expectations are forming for an extension of QE in December. Are those expectations justified? The expectations are justified, of course. They, they are, because um, the, the, the ECB cannot stop QE right now. So they, they are kind of caught in, the, in, the, in, the, in their own trap. And whether they're going to call it tapering or whether they're going to call it an extension of QE at a, at a lower pace, I think it, it hardly matters. Um, they, they will extend QE until uh, the end of 2017. Right. Does the ECB, though, need to do more to reach its inflation target? Can you say that so far it really hasn't worked? So unless they double up or buy other things, they're stuck. 
I think they're stuck. Uh, of course, the ECB itself always says it, it worked. Uh, the, the, the model shugs it out. Um, it, it, things would have been worse if they hadn't done QE. It, it's very hard to verify that. Um, but can they really do more? Of course, they can do more, but will this more have an added value on the economy or inflation? Uh, I, I doubt it, honestly. So therefore, the ECB will, can only extend QE. They will not start by to buy equities. Um, they, they, they simply don't want to get into this territory. Um, so what they will do is they, they open the door for an extension of QE. They will again repeat this uh, call upon governments to implement structural reforms and also to use fiscal policies, and that will be a big uh, um, changer for the Eurozone, to use fiscal policies to get a bit of economic growth. They open the door, they lay the groundwork here. What does that look like? What do you expect to hear? What do you want to hear from Mario Draghi when he uh, delivers his explanation of, uh, of the, uh, the rate decision later this morning? What I want to hear from him is to give us some, some insights of what the, these famous committees uh, told him already, because he, uh, what in ECB language, he, he, he tasked the committees to look into, uh, into all technical possibilities. So I would like to get some, some insights of what the, the, the committees actually have, have looked at already. Um, and then I would, I would uh, like to sound him very, very dovish, um, again, pointing to the risks to the economy, pointing to, to risks to inflation, and maybe, and that might also be an interesting thing, um, uh, opening the door for an um, exceeding of inflation of the the 2% target, because that will be the next step uh, that if the ECB starts to say that, all right, we will allow the inflation to overshoot our 2% target, um, this would also leave, leave, leave room for, 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 for more accommodative monetary policies. How problematic is the so-called scarcity problem? We've seen a bit of a sell-off uh, in bonds recently. How worried is the ECB about that at this point? They've started to become worried much, much later than the market did. Um, so they, they, they only kind of um, kind of tackled it in, in, in the September meeting. Uh, it will become a problem early next year. Of, of course, obviously, depending on, on where, where bond yields are at, at that time. So the thing is, um, if they really consider an extension of QE, they will need to address the, the issue of scarcity. If the ECB all of a sudden says, listen, um, March 2017, that's the end of QE, they even don't have to address the problem of scarcity because some, one way or the other, they would manage to get until March 2017 in, in, the, in the current form. Uh, Karsten, are there limits to how much debt the ECB can buy before the risks outweigh the benefits? I think in terms of buying debt, the uh, um, no, there there are there are only very little risks. I think that the bigger risks that we do have right now uh, stem from the uh, negative uh, deposit rate from extremely low interest rates, because we do see that uh, they are hitting the European banking industry, an industry w w which has already been battered, with an industry which is up for further consolidation, an industry which is under pressure from from new competition, uh, the need for new investments, and and the and these low interest rates are are hurting business models. So therefore. For these are the adverse effects that uh, low interest rate policy brings to Europe. Carson, we have about 30 seconds left here, but I want to ask you if you think we're going to hear anything from Mario Draghi about uh, European banks today. I think we will. I think normally when we expect a dull meeting from the ECB, um, Dra Draghi surprises us with more exciting news than we expected. <laughs> Very good. We will, we will stay tuned then. So we are expecting here a rate decision from the European Central Bank. Uh, that is due at 7.45 a.m. Wall Street time. And then uh, a little later this morning, at uh, 8.30 a.m., about 45 minutes after that rate decision will be announced, uh, we will go live to Frankfurt to carry uh, the ECB President Mario Draghi's uh, remarks and his responses to questions from reporters in the audience. We will see, uh, indeed, the degree to which he is asked by reporters about, uh, about European banks, the state of European banking right now.
Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? They see their role is to serve, not sell. That's why Charles Schwab is committed to the success of over 7,000 independent financial advisors who passionately dedicate themselves to helping people achieve their financial goals. Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Let's get some insight from Ben Emmons. He's Intellectus Partners Chief Economist uh, to talk more about the ECB. Ben, as expected, we didn't get much news from the European Central Bank. Uh, They're holding uh, rates unchanged. Uh, They will continue this asset purchase program. What people now want to do is if he's extending the program or whether he's already thinking of starting to taper. Uh, Good morning, Francine and David. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Um, Indeed, that, that, that's the big dynamic, right? Is he ready to taper or not? And so as the poll indicates that the expectations are that this will not happen, Draghi is, I think, very sensitive to those to those expectations because the history has shown how Draghi has been excellent with markets in terms of his communication, particularly being very favorable to markets with communication. So I don't believe that he will actually say that there's going to be tapering effect, that you have these committees now currently at work to analyze the QE program, for me as an ECB watcher from the past, they, he, they have done this before when they wanted to change their, their policy by using these committees to analyze their, their programs. And so it right. suggests to me they're going to have, have simulated the program and make potentially tweaks to it, as in either relax, for example, the deposit rate um, uh, limit in terms of buying bonds below the deposit rate uh, would be, mm-hmm. I, I think, quite significant if that uh, were being announced. I think that's here in play rather than tapering. So I would expect that Draghi comes out in, in that fashion in terms of like we will continue and we'll make modifications to the program, uh, hence to achieve our objective. Cause and Ben, yeah. th- is it fair to say that actually there are a lot more doves than hawks on the ECB? So any tapering would only come after an extension of this QE timeframe? I think that's right. I think that that there's at this stage, if you have inflation, uh, 0.4 is, is headline inflation that came out uh, just just recently. And if you look at at where we came from, um, when when the ECB announced that they wanted to do QE, they said our target is to bring the balance sheet back to where 2012 levels were, was three trillion, right? And we're well above that level now. We're 3.6 or so, and inflation still at 0.4. So clearly. The, the, the council has seen this too and say like we, we need a lot more extension of this balance sheet in order to get our inflation target up. That's clearly related. So I would say yes, that's much more dovish balance in the in the in the ECB as opposed to the past when you had a lot more hawkish balance because yes, inflation was running much closer to the target. Give us a sense of of what the uh, the committee was digesting here. Let's dig into that a little bit more. You mentioned inflation, but what does the macroeconomic data looked like here since the last time the, the ECB convened? It has improved somewhat, and interestingly, that how the Brexit had not had any impact on European data per se. In other words, the European economy is slowly recovering from those crisis years of 2010 to 2012. And and therefore, from that perspective, they feel obviously that this QE program is working, but needs more, uh, there needs probably more to, do, to be done there in order to get really the economy in full recovery mode. So. There's not a need there to taper here based upon some improvement of data. In fact, 
probably needed more QE extension to have this data improve further from here. Um, so in that, that respect, they, they are on, on track. It's just a slow track. The, the recovery in Europe is, is really muted and inflation is still extremely low relative to other countries. To what extent do you think currency factored into to this decision? How, how, how closely is the ECB paying attention to, to currency flows? So that's a good question, David, because that dynamic, I think, has somewhat changed in the past. Uh, Draghi made a lot of reference more explicitly to the currency in its, in its opening statements, whereas that has changed over the last year. The, you know, the euro has been very stable around where we are today and has fallen by roughly around about 8 to 10 percent uh, from, from where it was when the, when the balance sheet was much smaller. Uh, we're talking here about since 2014. So they have had an impact on the currency, and I think they're content with that because Draghi has indicated in the past every 10% fall in the currency is about you know, a few tens of percent improvement in inflation. That actually has happened. So I think they're content with the currency. Uh, what they're perhaps not as content by is that the further transmission of monetary policy through the different channels, as in credit, uh, credit extension and as well as um, further further ex fiscal expansion, that's where I think they're, they're looking at that much more closely. So the currency, I think, plays a bit of a, uh, is a bit in the background. I don't want to get too technical, Ben, but how concerned are you by what ECB members have told us, saying that they see future challenges regarding the euro system's ability to source sufficient eligible bonds in the market? I mean, this is almost technical, but if they say I'm going to buy a certain amount of these bonds and there are not enough out there, what do they do? Well, that is an issue, indeed, that, that there is some scarcity party because you know the, the the capital key ratio distribution has most of the the, the buying coming in from german the german market the german boon market and you know, the deficit in germany is really small and the issuance in germany has been falling so yes if you buy more on top of it you get scarcity issues so there too i think francine they can tweak that they could they could adjust the capital key ratio that has been somewhat indicated including by draghi so i think that could relax some of the scarcity concerns but there is obviously a concern over time that if you get recovery further in Europe and, and you keep buying these securities and the deficits stay around 3% or less, then you could get scarcity issues because the issuance isn't enough to absorb the buying. Right? And therefore, mm -hmm. yeah, that isn't is a concern. Now, having said that, there's obviously, and that's what the ECB has already done, it can veer more towards credit easing. So if you think about it, the European system has almost 8 trillion euros of collateral sitting there and they could relax some of the standards there to have more of that collateral be refinanced at the ECB or, or bought by the ECB even, you think about bank loans for example, then then that's that's another way of, for them to expand the balance sheet without running into scarcity issues. Ben, it seems like that introspection is the order of the day when it comes to central banking. We had the Bank of Japan looking inward a little bit. We've seen that with the, the ECB as well. We've had recent commentary from uh, Fed governors and Fed officials uh, about their sense of the efficacy of, of negative rates. Do you expect we're going to hear much on that today from, from Mario Draghi, uh, you know, if, uh, a sense of how well they're working or how well they think they're working? Certainly. I think that, that Draghi will continue to make it clear that the program is credible and that there is no real constraint to them to have the ability, the willingness and the capacity, as he said it so nicely at the, the previous press conference, to implement monetary policy. So I think he very much is, is on that, that stage in terms of we have credibility and we, we don't run into limits. Uh, what people have said about the Bank of Japan, for example, right? the, the yen has strengthened a lot there and they had to change their program in order to be continue to be credible, so to speak. Uh, so I think Draghi is very much strong about now we're, we're credible. 
but moreover with Draghi will continue to emphasize that our program will be credible because if the governments also deliver upon their structural reforms, uh, then then it really works, right? We need the help of governments to implement monetary policy, so to speak. So I think that's still what he will play on in terms of the central bank's credibility. They are effective, they can impact markets, they can impact monetary transmission, but they need government's help with particularly structural reforms, more structural reforms, to have you know the ultimate goal of having multi-policy function effectively. News conference here in about 45 minutes. Uh, very quickly here, what happens between now and December the, the 12th? What should we look for? Oh, in terms of the ECB? Or yes, you, yeah. Oh, in terms of the ECB, well, I, for sure that I think today that the, there will be some signal from Draghi, I think, in terms of what they're planning to announce in December. He, this is quite traditional, my view, from how he signals ahead of that meeting uh, what they're going to do. Um, uh, just to take out some level of uncertainty. He's also very good about markets in that way. By n- in other words, again, like he's f- market friendly, so he will he will indicate mm. that that there will be some change to it. All right, Ben Emmons, chief economist with Intellectus Partners, joining us here uh, in New York today. Appreciate it. As the ECB leaves rates unchanged. We will bring you Mario Draghi's press conference in the next hour. This is Bloomberg Radio. I want to bring in uh, Jeremy Zettelmeyer. He is a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, joining us now uh, by phone. And, and uh, Jeremy, let me ask you, first of all, just for your general reaction, not to the, the announcement, which was pretty uh, expected here, but what we've heard from Mario Draghi thus far uh, about the prospects for the continuation of quantitative easing. Um, not, not a surprise, uh, really. So we've had noises, uh, I think, coming out of the ECB, uh, or even coming out of the Bundesbank, that this is going to be a longer, uh, a longer process. So the, the tapering uh, ideas, I think, uh, were a bit premature. Uh, so I think the the ECB will hang hang in there. I um, wanted to ask you just generally about the the, the economic climate in Europe. What he had to say about uh, inflation today. Um, what was your takeaway right. from that, and sort of, you know, what, what, what generally did you take away from his commentary on the the, the macroeconomic, uh, the state of the macroeconomic uh, situation in Europe? Right. I mean, I, I think the the ECB is, uh, you know, reasonably hopeful that um, it will continue uh, on, you know, guiding Europe on a on a path of of st- uh, steady uh, recovery uh, of inflation and. You know, in a sense, the the batch uh, of uh, the period where bond yields, uh, you know, German ten-year bonds turned negative in the summer, uh, seems to have been overcome. Uh, the technical constraints are less likely uh, to be binding, um, and in that sense, I think uh, you know there's a sense that the ECB can carry on. Uh, without, uh, at this point, being in danger of, of hitting technical constraints and possibly also with the political constraints uh, easing off a little bit. Uh, so the political constraints essentially coming from the fact that, you know, uh, expanding the program uh, would have uh, created uh, the problem of either having to buy riskier assets uh, or having to go off the capital key or having to lower the deposit facility rate further, uh, both of which, uh, or all of which, are quite unpalatable options for the ECB. 
Jeremy, so for once, actually, the, the news conference, the press conference, Mario Draghi, was a little bit shorter than mm. usual, David. Usually it's about, what, 45 minutes. Today it was about 30, you know, 33 minutes. Um, Jeremy, mm-hmm. what does it tell us? I mean, I was listening to the questions very carefully, and a lot of the questions were a little bit loaded, but I think people want to try and understand the ECB's thinking, right? So there's news on the fact that they're unlikely to stop QE without tapering. That seems fairly intuitive. You can't just put an yeah. abrupt end. But it, yeah. the bigger problem is that you're pushing into negative territory and it's not really having an, an effect on inflation. So the question is, how far can they go? Yeah. So so I, I think at this point, uh, the ECB will just wait. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they, will, they will steer the course. And now as far as, uh, you know, additional action is concerned, uh, you know, there are basically three things they can do. They can go into riskier assets, so they have some asset classes that have not been tried. Uh, they could uh, lower uh, the deposit facility rate, uh, or uh, uh, which would then, you know, possibly give them room to even expand the existing programs. Uh, and then uh, the third option is they can go off the capital key. So the the problem with uh, all these three options is that they raise a lot of political opposition in in Germany and in other places. So if you're going to risk your assets, you are stroking the asset bubble fear. Uh, If you're going off the capital key, which from an economic point of view would make uh, the most sense, I think, because, you know, frankly, Germany does not need uh, even more uh, negative uh, interest rates. Uh, Germany has full employment, essentially. Uh, it's the southern countries that need more stimulus. Germany does not. So that, I think, would be uh, the right thing uh, to do. Uh, but uh, there is you know, a view in Germany that this is exactly how the ECB creates moral hazard, by taking off uh, the pressure from the southern uh, governments. Now, in a sense, you know, the longer this takes, uh, the, the more that argument has to be confronted with, with the alternative, which is, well, then we'll have to make monetary policy easier for the whole of Europe, mm-hmm. which Germans also hate. And so in that sense, you know, time, time is working uh, for Mr. Draghi. So I think, I think there's a sense that one has to become more flexible about these things. Very quickly, will inflation, the inflation target be hit at some point? At the moment, the ECB is expecting it to reach 2% by early 2019. Um, well, I, I'm, um, you know, I'm not optimistic that it will be faster than that, right? So I've, I've no real reason to have different expectations from, from the ECB. The interesting uh, thing is whether the ECB will allow it to overshoot, you know, which I think would be, uh, would be the right thing, uh, but that uh, we're not there yet. Very quickly here, um, yes. <laughs> Mario Draghi saying a lot of things were not discussed at, at this meeting today. You, t- you take yeah. that at face value? Is it realistic to think that uh, really, in fact, that tapering did not come up among the meeting of the committee? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, of course, they, they are discussing this all sure. the time informally. No? So in that sense, uh, it is possible <laughs> that, uh, you know, this was a, a business as usual meeting, maybe because... Uh, you know, the the, the uh, various uh, board members had opportunities to uh, to uh, discuss this when the actual tapering, um, whatever you call it, sure. hysteria or reactions happened. Um, so I, I think I think this could be just one of these meetings where, in some sense, you know, the 
the, the bulk of the discussion of the critical uh, issues happened around, uh, you know, a few weeks ago around the time of the World Bank. Sure. Uh, German Zettelmeyer there of the Peterson Institute for International Economics joining us here on Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm David Gurr with Francine Lockwood today, who is in for Tom Keen. This is Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm out on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com.